Syrians in their camp when they were surrounding the people of God in battle. In Matthew chapter 4, angels are sent to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Also then later in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, angels are sent to Jesus in the middle of his tribulations, strengthening him even in the garden of Gethsemane. You remember prior to going to the cross, angels were sent to strengthen him. Angels were used, you'll note, to make pronouncements. You remember how an angel was sent to Zacharias at the beginning of uh, the gospel, also in Luke, and then also uh, to Mary. And then also at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the angels were used to announce the resurrection to the women who were going to the tomb. And then in Acts chapter 1, they were there to announce that Christ would return. So we see that sometimes God uses angels to make pronouncements unto men. But the ordinary way now for the spreading of the gospel, though, is through men, through you. That means that the Great Commission is on us. It's our job to take up this role as God's messengers and to compel people to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the question sometimes arises, uh, does, do individual believers have individual guardian angels? Do you have a personal guardian angel? And the, the um, answer that Calvin gives, I think, is kind of interesting. He says, really, we don't know, but you probably have a lot more than one. <laughs> so it's not so much that you have a particular guardian angel who is standing by you 24-7, but that God employs many angels uh, in your care. Um, angels are spirits, uh, boys and girls. They are ministering spirits. They are disembodied. They are, they are real spirits. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 1 in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 and look at verse 14. Oh, good, I got this one. <laughs> Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of all those who will inherit salvation? And, of course, this is a, a chapter in which uh, shows the supremacy of Christ over the angels. But he does quote here, the angels are spirits to send for the help of believers. Um, Angels help believers um, and rescue them. Uh, they protect them. Uh, they minister to believers. In Luke chapter 16, we are told that angels carry souls into eternity. We also know that angels of young children, Jesus tells us, see the face of the Father, which is kind of interesting that he mentions that we should not hinder little children, and he, then he mentions that their angels behold the face of the Father. Now, I don't know, you know, um, the significance of appealing to their angel, but for some reason, Jesus does make that connection here, admitting the children into the worship of God's people because the angel that oversees that child beholds 
God in the presence of God. We also see that believers, we are told, will be like them. And this is, again, something of a mystery here. The Lord Jesus Christ does say, um, speaking on the subject of marriage and divorce, that there will be no marriage or giving in marriage in eternity and that we shall be like the angels, he says. Now that does not mean, as sometimes is taught in our popular culture, that we become angels. Sometimes you hear, you know, heaven has gotten another angel when somebody dies. The, the scriptures are not saying that we become angels. We, we have been created as men. We are distinct from the angels. We are created body and spirit. But he is saying that there will be this likeness, though. There is an analogy to some degree between the glorified man in the new heavens and new earth and that of the angels. Also, we know that angels will participate in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so here clearly, uh, Christ here is speaking of the final judgment here. And saying in the final judgment, when Christ comes, the angels will accompany him in that second coming. Then also, another interesting and somewhat mysterious verse to me is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. You don't have to turn there. But in that verse, the Apostle Paul is charging his colleague, his younger colleague, Timothy, and he says, I charge you before Christ and his chosen angels to keep the commandments. So it's interesting that he invokes Christ, but also maybe to add to the glory of the ascended Christ, he mentions the chosen angels at the same time. Also, we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 10, that angels seem to visit worship services. When the Apostle Paul was talking about women covering their heads, he also leaves us that verse that also they need to do so for the sake of angels, the presence of angels. So angels have a great role to play. Now, one of the things I want to leave us, though, by way of application here is this, that Jesus Christ, though, is greater than angels. We should study the angels because God has given us many verses that speak to them. But remember that angels are not supposed to distract us from the glory of God and the glory of Christ. They are to add to the glory of God and the glory of Christ. Angels are servants of God. Now, the question that Calvin raises, which I think is an interesting one, though, is why then, though, does God create angels? And Calvin's answer is that this is to comfort us in our weakness. It is not to distract us from the Lord, but he says it is to, quote, raise up our minds to good hope or to confirm ourselves in security, in the security of the Lord. That is, as we contemplate angels, they are not to lead us away from trusting in the Lord, 
but they are there to add to our sense of security of how the Lord will protect us, that the Lord has created specific beings to protect God's people. They're there to assure us and to give us hope of God's love for us. So the angels are a means to uh, helping us appreciate the sovereignty of God in his care for us. That's the first thing I want us to see. They are there to comfort us in our weakness. But Calvin goes on. He says, not only are the promises of God there to care for us, but he says that angels tell us of innumerable, the Bible tells us of innumerable guardians to look after our safety. That is, God has given, in addition to the promise of his word, these creatures that will help build up our assurance in his word, in his promises here. So we have these innumerable guardians here. And again, it goes back to the idea that it's maybe not just one guardian angel, but a whole host of angels that are there to help us. You remember, um, boys and girls, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, which we covered uh, several weeks ago, and you remember before Elisha the prophet died, remember that um, the, the city in which the prophet lived was surrounded by the enemies of God. And the servant of Elisha said, you know, my master, what are we going to do? We're surrounded completely. And what did Elisha pray? He prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant. And the Lord answered that prayer affirmatively. And what did the servant see? He saw, with God's help, a mountain, the mountain, filled with fiery horses and chariots. That is, God had surrounded the people of God with a great army of angels, innumerable angels, filling up the whole region, surrounding them and the enemy. And this was to comfort, this was for the comfort of the servant. In the same way, God gives us these visions in the scriptures so that we would see with the eyes of faith. This is not to deter your faith, it's to enhance your faith in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord, and we know that the Lord employs angels for our good. Now, our final thought and application is this, that our gaze is to be on the Lord alone. Our gaze is to be on the Lord alone. Our hope is in God. Um, we are not to be detracted, distracted from Christ, but our gaze is to be on this. And Calvin had a great illustration, I thought, of this. It came from Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob sees the ladder uh, going up into heaven. And what is on the ladder? But angels going up and down the ladder. And it was a picture here, Calvin says, of what? It is a picture of the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. How do we get to heaven? But to Christ. And the angels are but ministering spirits that come alongside. But the work itself is Christ. It is the ladder 
that we are to look at. The angels adorn the ladder. They are alongside the ladder. They enhance the glory of the ladder by their presence. But it's not that we are to look at the angels, but we are to look at the ladder himself. And so the application, I think, is clear. That we are to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has sent his Son, the eternal God, the one who is the Son of God, the one who is very God of very God, the one to whom angels themselves bow down to. You remember that even the evil angels, the demons, would cry out, have you come to destroy us? Do not cast us into the abyss. Send us into the herd of swine, they cried out. Why? Because they recognized that Christ was the Son of God who had power over them. The angels were not greater than Christ, but Jesus Christ was greater than all the angels, whether good angels or demonic powers and principalities. Our faith is to be alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to look to Christ. The angels only enhance the glory of Jesus Christ, but angels are under the authority of Jesus Christ. They are ministering spirits there to help you, but it is the Lord who is ultimately your help. They, they are your immediate help, angels that is, are your immediate help, but it is the Lord who is your immediate help. It is the Lord who sends angels to help you. And so we don't look to angels or cry out to angels to help us, but we cry out to the Lord. Whether the Lord uses an angel or not is the Lord's prerogative. He can work immediately, he can work immediately. But our glory is in the Lord alone. We are to trust in God alone. So as you get back to our passage here, we see that when Peter deals with the subject of the ascension, who sits down, Christ sits at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. That is, that all that belongs to the created order is now given to the Son, even as it belonged to the Father. It was the Son's before he left, but the Son, remember, set aside his prerogative as the Son of God. He set aside his kingly authority, humbling himself to the point of death, even death, on a cross that everyone who would believe in him should be saved. But having finished that work, now he is exalted back to his position at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and, Lord, even for the employment of these ministering spirits for our good and for your glory. May we, Lord, appreciate how glorious you are how splendid and wonderful you are in the creation and employment of these glorious beings. May they not, O oh Lord, distract us from our love for you, but enhance it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to sing 425 in the hymnal. 425. And let's uh, stand together as we close out this service. 425, how sweet and awesome is the place.
the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.